Yes, our passage comes from Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. And if you prefer to follow the text in one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 843. Such a well-known passage, (laughs) the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, He passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have had. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Amen.
Let me pray as we come to God's word. Our Father, we confess how easy and subtle it is to become proud without us even almost realising it. And so we pray for humble hearts that allow your word to sit over us and seep into our hearts and minds and our being. Amen. I was at a, an InterServe mission prayer meeting last month. There was about eight people there and another lady joined on Zoom. And this lady was on Zoom. A friend had sent her, a friend had sent her some information about a need to help students uh, students from a, a group, a, a group of refugees who had come to Australia from a Middle Eastern country, and that people group had been deeply persecuted by the minority population in that country. Uh, and the government, the Australian government, has settled a lot of them in Toowoomba. There's no known Christian amongst these, this people group. And this lady who was on Zoom, she's a retired teacher. She's living in Nowra. And a friend had sent her uh, this information about the need for someone to go and help young people, not as a, a school teacher in a school, but outside of school hours, to help young people for whom English is totally almost foreign. Living in Nowra, this lady prayed about this and the, the whole concept remained with her for some time. So she moved from Nowra to Toowoomba to help these young people. And as I was listening to her, it deeply impressed me. People to whom she had no responsibility or commitment to and yet she packed up her life to move somewhere else to help. And I found myself asking the question, would I do that? I guess I confess, over the last few months, it's come across my mind a number of times how easy it is to be complacent, thinking that I'm going okay as a Christian, and yet there are opportunities to love God by serving others which I pass by and justify why I shouldn't be involved. And I can justify it easily for many reasons. And I can get seduced into thinking that worship of God is in a certain box. How I live my life is just in a certain box and, and that pleases God in that box. And the parable of the Good Samaritan wants to blow that box apart. That worship of God does not just happen in a box, but worship of God happens in all of life, all of everyday life. This is the first in a, a series of parables. Uh, Ange will preach on the rest. A parable is a story using something from everyday life which is used to point out something of a deeper spiritual meaning. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus told the parable of seed uh, being planted in a whole lot of different soils. He, he then said to his disciples, 
in Luke chapter 8, verse 10, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. It's actually taken from the book of Isaiah, and it's a part of Isaiah's call to ministry. The things that Jesus would speak about, like someone planting seed, everyone understands that. People would hear that and they would understand. But the deeper spiritual meaning they would not often get. They would not perceive it. And in fact, them not perceiving it confirmed their hardness of heart towards God's word. And yet Jesus told parables so that people, some people, a small group of people, may go away and the parable will keep playing in their mind, reflecting on it. What does it mean? What are the implications? And for some who keep pondering over the parable, the Spirit of God will bring life as to what it means to live in God's kingdom. Well, he was a barrister. He was an expert in his profession of religious law. He respected Jesus as seen by him standing rather than sitting to address Jesus. But he also had concerns. You see, Jesus associates with dubious people. And some of his teaching, well, quite frankly, it was questionable. And so the barrister wanted to test Jesus. I guess we might say he was a bit of a nitpicker. And so he chose, he chose a controversial topic. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, God had given the Jews their land. And over time, they associated eternal life with remaining in the land that God had given them. So it was important for them to keep obeying God's commands in order for them to remain in the land. In response to this question, the barrister had in his own mind what was the right answer. He would have expected Jesus to give several key commandments that must be kept. Instead, Jesus, as he often did, answered a question with another question. What does the Torah say? The Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And the lawyer gave what is a, almost a creedal response a creedal response in that time that was taken from both the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. In Luke chapter 10, verse 27, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Well, Jesus affirmed the man's answer and told him, Go and do this and you will live. Go and do this, and you will live. Well, the barrister was caught off guard. He had come for a, for a theoretical debate. And now Jesus had all of a sudden made it very practical. 
almost saying, well, you know what to do. Go and do it. That's how you inherit eternal life. But what was more troubling was the breadth of the answer. The lawyer expected a, a set of rules, a set of rules that would guarantee eternal life, but Jesus had broadened it to include every part of life. To love God with unlimited and unqualified love and love my neighbour the same way. Well, I guess the lawyer may have felt a bit stumped for a minute. But then he pulled out an ace card. For Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17 and 18, speaks about a neighbour in the context of being a relative or a fellow Jew. And again, trying to test Jesus, he said, well, who is my neighbour? If I'm to love my neighbour, I, I need to know who my neighbour is in order to know who I am to love. Until I'm clear about that, I don't know who to love and, I don't, I don't, and who I don't need to love. And Jesus answered with a parable. A man was going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about 27 kilometres and it's an extremely dangerous road. You don't know who you're going to meet. You are always looking out for who is approaching. And the two obvious ways to identify people who are coming towards you are by the clothes they wear, for each community will have a distinctive, something distinctive about how they dress and by a quick conversation with a person because that will reveal their dialect. Well, Jesus told this parable about a man who had been robbed, beaten, stripped and unconscious and close to death. He has no clothes to identify him. He can't speak to understand what dialect. A priest was passing by, probably on his way home from the temple. We're not told, but almost certainly, the priest is riding on a donkey or some form of transport. Priests were from the upper class and no one in the Middle East walks 27 kilometres when they don't have to. He sees the man on the ground lie in the distance and he gives a wide berth. Maybe the priest thought, what should I do? Rabbinical teaching, which were the interpretations of Jewish law, said to offer help to sinners was being disobedient to God. Well, he didn't know if this man was a sinner or not. Another rabbinical teaching said one was bound to help if they saw him in trouble. Well, the reality is he didn't see him in trouble. He's come afterwards. And what if he's dead? A priest was not allowed within two metres of a dead body, otherwise he became clean. And that, well, what would happen to the people he was going to minister to when he gets back home? Not to mention the cost of an animal sacrifice and the humiliation of knowing that a priest was unclean. 
It seems the priest was a victim of a rule book mentality. Life is about do's and don'ts. It's really helpful making life black and white when we have do's and don'ts until we come across a situation where there is no clear rule. And the safest thing then is to maintain our reputation. Don't get involved because you don't know what's going to happen. As part of the parable, a Levite came along. He's probably also been at the temple. Most of the way on the road, a traveller can see ahead some distance. So the Levite is aware that the priest is in front of him. Unlike a priest, the Levite is not bound by many regulations. He's only required to observe ritual cleanliness at the temple. So he's in more of a position to stop and help. The Levite approaches for a closer look, but then decides to move on. I guess he may have thought, if the priest didn't stop, why should I? But probably it was more likely, if I stop, I'd be questioning the priest. I would be questioning the priest's interpretation of the law. And what does a Levite know compared to the professional clergy about who a neighbour is? Well, the barrister expects the next person to be a layman. For ordinary Jews had to serve in the temple also for two weeks of the year. But to his shock, in the parable, it's a Samaritan. A Jew had said, he who eats the bread of the Samaritans is like one that eats the flesh of swine. Samaritans were hated by Jews. They were other nationalities that had been interbred with Jews. But Samaritans have the same five books of the Bible. They have the same, exactly the same, Torah. So the Samaritan would also know the passage that refers to a neighbour as being a relative or another Samaritan. And the reality is that being in Israel, it is even less likely that injured man is a Samaritan. And the Samaritan's in danger of contamination by a dead body. But he also risks the retaliation from the man's family if they were to find out. Because that would mean the Samaritan had touched a Jew. And yet this compassion of this hated Samaritan compels him to stop. And he softens the dry blood with oil, disinfects the wounds with wine and binds them up. Oil and wine are not only first aid materials, but they are elements used in worship. The word for pour, pouring the wine and oil, comes from the worship language for pouring drink offerings. Interestingly, many manuscripts have bandaged his wounds, pouring oil, pouring on oil and wine. 
bandage his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Does something stand out to you? Nobody doing first aid bandages wounds and then pours on something to clean. It's the wrong way around. And yet, it's done for emphasis. In Hosea chapter 6, God called Israel to return and he would bind his people's wounds. The Samaritan reflects God saving his people, even though he is an outcast. The priest and the Levite had the opportunity to worship God through attending and stopping this, for this man but they chose to be safe. They chose to keep their rules. They chose to keep worship as something that happens in the temple. And yet true worship is not about place. It's not about ritual, but it's about responding to what God has done. So Isaiah, in that same chapter, chapter 6 and verse 6, speaks about God not being interested in sacrifices and offerings, but interested in mercy. The priest and Levite thought they knew all about worship, but that they bypassed the very opportunity to worship that was right in front of them. The Samaritan gives first aid, which the Levite did not, and puts the man on his donkey to bring him to an inn, which the priest did not. Middle Eastern culture practice an eye for an eye. So the safest thing for the Samaritan is to leave the man at the inn and go his own way. To stay and then indeed to return meant his own life may be in danger from the man's relatives who may want to kill him. And yet he reverses what the priest and Levite did not do. And along with that, the Samaritan now compensates for the robbers. The wounded man has no money, but not to pay meant that he may be arrested for an outstanding debt. So the Samaritan pays, so the man is free from debt. And then Jesus says to the barrister, which of these was a neighbour? He can't bring himself to say the word Samaritan, so he says the one who showed mercy. The Samaritan, want, or the man, the barrister, wants a clear definition of who his neighbour is. So he knew who he had to help, but he also knew who he didn't have to help. To whom must I become a neighbour? And Jesus in the parable says, to anyone in need, even our enemies. Let me conclude by saying, the priest and Levite didn't want to get involved because it might interfere with their worship. It is so easy to fall into thinking that what happens here is about worship. And once we leave here, then worship has finished. 
But worship is about every part of life, as Romans chapter 12 talks about. While it's easy and safe to rationalise why not to help when we see a need, could we be foregoing opportunities to actually worship God through loving others and seeking to meet their needs? But having said that, we must recognise there is so much need in the world. A few years ago, I don't go into town very much, but a few years ago I went into town, I, I guess I hadn't been there, maybe since moving back to Sydney, I can't remember. But I was overwhelmed with how many people there were on street corners. Overwhelmed by how many people were homeless with beds just along the road. Overwhelmed with so many people begging for money. It was like I was in culture shock. I gave some money to one and to another. But I couldn't meet every need. Even if I took all the money I have in the bank, I couldn't meet every need. We can't meet the need of even those closest to us. And so we're actually in a grave predicament because Jesus' answer to the lawyer was unless we love God and love our neighbour to that unqualified extent, we cannot inherit eternal life. The reality is that we can't do it. We fail. We choose not to do it and we can't do it. And yet the one who was despised and rejected, the one who was an outcast as a Samaritan, is the one who saves. We are like the man beaten and left for dead. We cannot rescue ourselves. But Jesus, who is hated and rejected by humanity, can. The immortal God becomes mortal to rescue and give us life through giving his own life. I don't know if I'm right, but I find it interesting that Luke, as he's compiled his gospel, has placed the story of Mary and Martha after this parable. Martha, who has this great need of trying to prepare a meal and wants Mary to help. And Jesus says, just let Mary sit and listen to me. It seems there is a balance between being concerned to meet others' needs and spending time by allowing God's word to feed us. If all we ever do is try to meet God's word and don't spend time with God, we'll eventually just be wasted. We can't just keep giving and giving and giving. Both are important, meeting physical needs and spending time with God. Indeed, as we spend time with God, like branches of a vine, Christ's life is able to flow through us. 
Parables are designed that as we go away, we keep pondering. Who is your neighbour? I'm going to pray. Our Father, yeah, we, we're grateful that you know what we are like because sometimes we don't even know ourselves what we're like. It is so easy to be duplicitous and be one thing in one situation and yet be contradictory in other situations. We confess that it's so easy to come here to worship as a community and yet so tempting to leave and in a sense worship has stopped and yet through your Apostle Paul you call us to be living sacrifices for this is the appropriate worship for how we are to live for you. And in all the complexity of life, we pray that you'll help us to keep that balance, to be soft and sensitive and compassionate to other people, and yet also rooted in who you are, and that your word keeps feeding us. We thank you for this parable and we pray that we would not just understand on a superficial level, but indeed by your spirit you may help us to keep pondering and thinking that we may be led by your spirit to know you better and to grow in reflecting, reflecting you in healthy ways. Amen.